Let's bow for a word of prayer and we'll get started this morning. Are we good to go back there with you? I think so, yeah. Very good, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you that we can uh, be looking at your word again and considering personal application. Lord, I pray that you'd guide this time, guide this discussion as we, Lord, Bible study, the process, observation, interpretation, Lord, it's designed to get us to this point of application and personally appropriating the text to our own lives. I pray that you would help us as we wade into these waters. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. So we have been in this workshopping of inductive Bible study and, and working through our observation and interpretation uh, steps, uh, practicing on the book of Jonah, chapter 1, and we've made over the last month, we've made a lot of uh, observations. We've determined the meaning of things and, and, and what is the purpose of what Jonah was trying to communicate and... And here we are going from the observation, interpretation, now into application. We want to go from, okay, well, this is what it meant then and there to this is what it means for us as we're applying the text here and now, going from the then and there to the here and now. And I just want to remind us of a couple of things that we've covered when we were going in depth on application. Uh, application is based on the idea that God's Word is eternally relevant, right? This, it's, it's always applicable to us. Sometimes we struggle with the application and, and to know how it connects, but it does connect. And when we do the work, when we put in the time, when we put in the effort, we find, wow, God's text is, His Word is relevant for us, and it will always be so. There's no other text that has ever been written that we could say this about. This is the only text, and it bears testament to uh, the divine nature of the Word of God. So application looks at how a text is best appropriated, and that word appropriated means taken to ourselves, applied to ourselves for our own individual life contexts. Again, bridging that gap between the then and there and the here and now. Remind us that uh, valid application cannot happen in the absence of sound interpretation. Sometimes we want to open up our, our Bibles and, and we just want to be hit with just this, um, an amazing stroke of Inspiration, I realize that word has a technical meaning when we talk about biblical text, but we just want to be struck with just like, oh Lord, you know, how does this apply to me? And you just want to read it and be struck with that. Well, we, if we're not putting in the time to accurately understand the text, we're not going to have a valid application. Application begins by finding sensible parallels between interpretation and application. They got to connect. If there's a disconnect between the interpretation and the application, chances are we have an invalid application. So we want to avoid that. Broad strokes, uh, as we move through this, we want to first determine what the text might, might mean to us today as the people of God. So uh, we're looking at just some broader categories of are these valid, uh, valid applications or not? And once we have a number of potentially valid applications, then we determine, okay, what does the text mean for me personally, okay, this is the broad strokes principles, the application that is available. Well, what does that look like in my individual life? And then finally, we do theology, that is, we systematize the teachings. Uh, the scriptures do teach theological concepts, and so we want to recognize that. And it's interesting, uh, you know, shamelessly, shamelessly I, 
I have a podcast called Do Theology. Uh, this language is drawn directly from the textbook, which predates my podcast, which I hadn't read when I started the podcast. So how serendipitous indeed. So yes, that, that concept of doing theology, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. So um, yeah. So we begin by that first step stated another way, establishing relevance and legitimacy. Just like, I'm just still have a couple more things to remind us before we get into the text of Jonah itself as we begin to apply the text of Jonah. We have a guiding principle that which is meaningful for our day must have its foundation. Oops, I, I didn't fix the typo that was here. In correct, space between the word in and correct. It's not incorrect in interpretation, it is in the correct interpretation, right? Uh, the meaning of the text is in the original context, right? So uh, if we have a disconnect, if we're opening up any given text and we're saying, oh yes, I'm reading Jonah chapter 1 and therefore I conclude that, you know, um, I'm just trying to think of what might be an invalid in application. Well, okay, let's just go to the absurd. Uh, I shouldn't lie. Okay, now that's, well, of course we shouldn't lie. Uh, that, that's, that's something that we shouldn't do, right? That would be a good application. Yeah, but not from this text. This text doesn't have anything to do with lying, right? So the, the, the meaning for our day must have its foundation in the correct interpretation, which is the meaning found in the original context. A text cannot mean what it never could have meant for its original readers or hearers. A text cannot mean what the text never meant, it always means what it always meant, and our application needs to flow from what the single meaning of the author, what he was originally communicating. So, what does the text itself mean? Can we remind ourselves, well, I'm, before I put them all on the screen. Text of Jonah. What does Jonah chapter 1 mean? What is being communicated in that text? Just not a trick question. Base level, what's in Jonah chapter 1? What do we see there? The groundwork is being laid for the story, and then the explanation of why Jonah fled. Yeah. The source of him fleeing. Okay, so the groundwork. What's the groundwork? The, the when, the where. The well, when and the where. The when, but the, the where, the why, I guess. Which is what? So I'm, I'm trying to draw that out. What's, okay, well, what are we looking for? The foundation? Yeah, what's, what's the when and where? What are, what are we... Oh, literally. What? Yes, no. yep. Well, it starts out, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. Yes. What's, what's the deal with Nineveh? Evil, yeah, bad people. They're bad, bad right? People. This is, uh, their Chaos. wickedness, their evil has come up before me, right? Okay, they're, they're bad, and God says, go cry out against it. All right. Yeah. They're not Jews, okay? This is a Gentile city, okay? And what's yeah. the command? Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, all right, and cry out against it. And Jonah does what? Runs the other way. God says, go this way, and he says, whoop, nope, I don't think so, right? He goes the other way. So that's a problem, right? That's, that's not how it is. And then we have the, the storm that comes. Uh, Jonah, the lot falls upon him. He confesses his sin. He's thrown overboard. And then we find at the conclusion, where's Jonah? In a fish. In a fish. 
on its base, it's not a difficult text to figure out, like, this isn't, there's no, there's no allegory, there's no, like, metaphorical language. This is a narrative, right? It's pretty, yeah, it's, it's pretty straightforward narrative, and there's no, there's no particular textual difficulties. Yeah, it's, it's very straightforward. So we could summarize this, and I've just kind of put a couple of things on the screen here, all right? If we're just looking at this just from two perspectives, this isn't everything that we could put up on here. What does the text mean? Well, God commanded Jonah to preach to Nineveh, one of Israel's enemies. Uh, God sent a storm to chasten Jonah, and God sent a fish to swallow Jonah. Well, Jonah, he did not want to minister to Nineveh, so that actually kind of corresponds to the first point. God commanded Jonah to preach, and Jonah says, nope, I don't want to. Uh, God, and then so he fled from God's command, so God sent a storm to chasten Jonah. Well, he eventually ch- confesses his sin, he gets thrown overboard, and God sends a fish to swallow Jonah. Base level, this is what's in the text. Now we have to go through the work of trying to figure out, okay, how does this apply? What does this mean for my life? That was the then and there. What was the original author trying to communicate to his readers that we need to pick up on today? So I'm going to remind us of a few more things that we've already discussed, and then we'll get into some of that personal application side of things. Stages of assessing application. We talked about how we want to evaluate the relevance of the text for today. So, is this text relevant for today? Yes. Yes, yes it is. Absolutely. Because it's the Word of God. Yes. (laughs) This is the Word of God. It is, of course, relevant. Is, how is it relevant? So, now we need to determine legitimacy by drawing parallels between the interpretation and potential applications. So, is it a legitimate application for us to say, well, um, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. I need to go to Nineveh. Is that a legitimate application? Why not? I'm not Jonah. Okay, that's a big thing, right? <laughs> uh, why else? Nineveh today is a bunch of archaeological ruins. Not very many people there anymore, is there? No. That's not so much. It's a very different place today than it was back then. So, yeah. Maybe God's telling me to go on an archaeological dig. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Time to dig up some rocks. Yeah. So, we're not not Jonah. Nineveh doesn't exist today like it existed back then. Uh, So, we could point out a number of different things. We're in a different, uh, we're in a different covenantal context. There's the old covenant. There's the new covenant. Uh, there's different things going on there's, to say, okay. There's a totally different geopolitical context. Completely different geopolitical context. Does that mean that there's no application for us? No, that does not. That's not what that means. No, we need to figure out how to bridge the gap here. Let's let's try to draw parallels. Let's see where can we make these connecting points. And then the, the third step here that says uh, use teaching points and discernment to answer primary questions of application. So the, the author of, the, of that book, Inductive Bible Study, encourages us that when we're studying the Bible, it's helpful to almost kind of formulate even like a mini outline of, like, how would I, if I were to teach this to someone, how would I teach this? What are the key points I would hit upon? So he encourages us to develop those teaching points, and that helps us figure out, okay, this is how I would teach it, that's helpful for me for how I would learn how to apply it. Well, let's dig into this concept of drawing legitimacy and, and parallels. Uh, we want to discover how the original author intended his original audience to apply the text. 
clearly, as this narrative was being written, it's not, it's not just a nice story. The original audience wasn't expected, oh, everybody who reads this should go to Nineveh. That clearly wasn't the point. Uh, distinguishing between doing and knowing text, how would we classify this text? Is this a doing text or a knowing text? How would we, how would we think about this text? It presents more as a doing text. Presents more as a doing text. There, there's commands given for someone to do something, mm-hmm. and that person doesn't do that thing, and so something happens until that person does the thing. Yeah, there's so with, with Jonah himself, he was given direct commands that he disobeyed. So we could draw from that, well, if God is given, well, now I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, um, when it comes to narrative, I think this answering this question is often harder than it is with like a Paul's epistles. Sometimes with Paul's epistles, he's very much like this is a doctrinal section of his letter. It's a knowing text. And then there's like the application part of his letter where it's like, okay, this is very clearly a doing text. There's a command from the author to the reader to do something. In narrative, it's not written directly that way. There's always knowing and doing in both, but is it primarily one or the other, and how do we think about that? Uh, I think it's more challenging with narrative, but eventually we need to get to the point where we're distilling the underlying principles of the text. So this is what I like to call principalization, which is, I think if you looked that word up in the dictionary, it doesn't exist, but it does now. Principalization of the text, as we think about drawing parallels Stages of assessing application, we're evaluating legitimacy, we're trying to develop teaching points. What are the principles that we see in this text that we could say these are timeless truths that apply across all ages? These are, this is things that is te- being taught by this text. Kind of going back just briefly to yeah. distinguishing between knowing and doing, as I kind of took a quick scan back over the text, we see... I mean, I think there's a lot of doing. There's a lot of doing application, but there's also, we learn something about who God is mm-hmm. through, through the way he responds to Jonah's disobedience. Yes. You know, you know, God would have been totally justified in just, okay, Jonah, you disobeyed me, you're gone. Yep. But he didn't. Yes. There was... We learn. We learn something. We we now know something at the end of this text about God that we didn't maybe fully know at the beginning. So I think. I think there's both. I still think it's yeah. primarily a doing, but there's there's things we learn about who God is and the nature of yeah who He is. And I think we're going to press into that more, especially as we get into the doing theology side of it. What what do we learn about God? What what does that teach us about who He is and His nature? And that helps us synthesize our theology of God. So. I wonder if, and kind of peeking ahead at the whole book of Jonah itself, that, that the book of Jonah is maybe more of a knowing text than a doing text. I, I, I generally think that narrative tends to be that way. There's always going to be what are we supposed to do as, you know, from, from reading it. Like the author... The original author had a point that he wanted to get across, and we're to live in light of that point. But it's communicated through a story, and then 
we're supposed to apply what we know from the story to how we live our lives. So yeah, I think narrative tends to be that way. But yeah, it's, there's always, there's always going to be both in every text. Well, let's get into the principalization. What are some of the timeless principles that we can draw from this text? The thing is just like, all right, this is, this is a principle that is timeless and exists in every age and every, every context. These things are true. God expects our obedience. God expects obedience. Yep, that's a big one. Yeah. Even when it's hard. Whew, yep, I got that's uh I I think we also begin to see again, you know, in that in the narrative of you know, you know God could have wiped out Jonah. Um but he didn't, and instead there's, there's a series of escalations mm-hmm. that it's almost like it, in each escalation, it's, okay, Jonah, here's your chance, turn back, yeah. here's your chance. We see that while God, at the same time, God, ex- God expects and commands our obedience, he's also merciful. Yeah. His mercy, who is his mercy extended to in the narrative? It's extended to Jonah. It's extended to, to the sailors. The sailors who who just kind of get caught up in the whole yeah. thing, but it's also expected ex- extended to Nineveh. To Nineveh, yeah. All of the major characters, mercy, God's mercy extends to all of them. All of them in different contexts of idolatry and disobedience. So that's that's pretty big. So, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the Ninevites who were generally terrible people. Yeah, yeah. Jonah who had directly disobeyed a command of God, and the sailors they didn't even know what they were getting themselves yeah. sucked into. They're just regular old pagans living their pagan lives. Something bad happens, they start calling out to any <laughs> pagan, and every god yeah, that'll listen. Pagan's gonna pagan. Pag- yep. So that's, but in the end. They fear the Lord. I don't know if we, we can say that they necessarily became proselytes, but there's, they definitely feared the one true God by the end of it. So I don't know if they, they, if they ever got to a point of full embracing of Yahweh, but yeah, there is, there's quite a lot there. Well, just to, uh, I, 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 there, there's many principles. I, I thought of a few that I just put up here just for us to try to help us think through. We covered some of these. God's mercy is for the nations, not just for Israel, but for the nations. God was directing Jonah to go to Nineveh. God will accomplish his purposes. Jonah said, oh, I think I'm going to hightail it out of here. And God said, nope, you're not. Whoop. You are going to do what I am going to command you to do. Uh, God will accomplish his purposes, even in spite of our own rebellion. That's something that will happen. Uh, it is foolish to run from God or ignore his commands. Seems like a bad thing to do. That kind of ties in with God expects obedience, uh, even when it's hard. Uh, yep. But then God's mercy is known even in judgment. This remote. Just like I think that. we also see, and this, this just kind of struck me, that 
we see something about the 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 level of i guess god's command and control over creation yeah because yeah. he accomplishes purposes through both natural and supernatural means yeah he commands the storm he commands the wind for crying out loud he commands a fish to be you know, to be large enough to swallow a man and it's like you're not going there i'm going to take you yeah and you're in the belly of a fish you're going to go we think you know the most unnatural like supernatural means that we could think of like like you're going like you you just don't know it yet. yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and it's not that you're going to be convinced to go because we almost see in a sense like god drags jonah to nineveh kicking and screaming in a, yeah in a way and, and yeah. i mean even at the end with jonah's tantrum like it really is kicking and screaming He's going to explain in chapter 4, he's going to explain why he fled in the first place, yeah. right? That's, that's, that's Which coming. I think is telling, and it builds even more on God's mercy. Yeah. Even Jonah knows God's merciful. Yeah. But, yes, God will, God will accomplish his means by whatever means necessary to accomplish them. It's not, you know, he's not restrained, he, or he's not constrained by, by natural boundaries. Yep. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Well, we've div- we've kind of brought out some principles, all right? So these are some general principles. We haven't yet applied the text personally yet. Uh, the way the uh, this our outline was as we distill the underlying principles of the text. We're to use teaching points and discernment to answer primary questions of application. So teaching points. This is a lot of times where my sermon outlines are developed, uh, looking at the main principles of the text. Okay, how can I kind of organize that in a way that is helpful as a teaching point? If I'm going to try to teach the meaning of what's in Jonah and communicate that in a way that leads to personal application... How can I do that in a way that is simple but clear about the meaning and what is at place with the main principles that we find in the text? So as we think about that, how could we possibly organize or break down or outline this text using the meanings and the principles that we have established for us into some level of teaching outline or structure or points? back to these uh, principles. Is it possible to break down this way? This is where application really begins to take work, right? This isn't something that we just, you know, it just kind of, sometimes it does just come to us, I suppose, but a lot of times we have to spend some time wrestling with it, working with the text, Think, how would I communicate this to someone else? This may be jumping ahead a moment, but I see, you know, 
in this whole time, you know, God is, is commanding Jonah, you know, go here, go here. Jonah's like, I don't want to go there. And we, again, we see later, I didn't want to go there because I know you're merciful and you would relent. Mm-hmm. Um, and God basically says, yeah, you know who I am. Um, but that's not your decision to make. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, and he talks <coughs> about, you know, you get angry and you you know you pity the plant. You know, why shouldn't I pity Nineveh? Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's yep. same text, but it's jumping ahead. But I I see the you know there is a command you know to go out and to share and to and to share the word of God. And we don't get to choose who's worthy to hear it or not. Mm, mm-hmm. That's just simply not, that's not within our purview. You know, we're not the king, we're ambassadors of the king, and we do the king's bidding. Yes. The king decides who's worthy, we don't. Yeah. And in the grand scheme of things, without his mercy, none of us are worthy. So how can we take that into a succinct teaching outline kind of point like can we move to that level uh i i i've got a couple of examples i want to show but i'm i'm waiting to waiting to put them up until we maybe think about it and work on it a little bit we have the principles god's mercy uh he will accomplish his purposes uh obedience um God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. I would see is probably the, the first teaching point. You know, God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. He commanded something. I mean, right off, right off the bat, um, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him to do something. So maybe point one is God's word is to be obeyed, or, or yeah, God, there, yeah, there, God's sovereignty and obedience is probably I would say point number one, and we see the consequences of not obedience. Okay. Uh, we don't necessarily see the blessings of obedience. It's more of the consequences of disobedience. Which there's, val- there's much value in knowing the consequences of disobedience. Yeah. Um, so, so point one, uh, God's word is to be obeyed. Yeah. Point two, there are consequences for disobedience. Is there anything else that we would go from there, or is, does that cover chapter one? God's mercy. God's I mean, mercy. God's mercy is prominent in yeah. chapter. I think to miss. I think to skip God. To skip mercy is missing the whole ball game. <laughs> so, God's word is to be obeyed. There's consequences for disobedience, and yet there's mercy through disobedience. Yeah. So that could be I a one-way. I could yeah. run with that out. That'll preach, right? That's, that, that that'll will, that'll, that'll preach. <laughs> that'll preach. Another way to uh, maybe to look at it, and I think this would be harder. It's there. It would be harder to preach from is God's plans are beyond our comprehension. Hmm. Hmm. You know, he's telling Jonah, again, a prophet of God, of Israel, yeah, 
go to not Israel. Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're yeah. your people. They're not your, they're not only are they not your people, they're against your people. Why am I going to them? Mm. Yeah. We, we could work with that a little bit and try to see how to formulate that into teaching points. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know that by itself, it just from this chapter alone, I you have to kind of get more, into more of the whole book. Yeah, it's yeah. A, and even in the whole book, I don't know how well. I think it's one of those things that we we see a glimmer that God's plan extends beyond Israel. But we don't. Yeah. We don't see it fleshed out. We don't see it explained. Well, where we just it, see where the it, glimmer. Where it connects is when we start get, like that last step of doing theology. There is theology communicated, and that would tie in with that theology that we synthesize with yeah. other parts of Scripture and see. Oh, wow! This is how God is working. So, I'm just going to keep keep us moving for the sake of time here. Uh, I don't think there's any one. So there's one meaning of the text, multiple applications, multiple principles that flow from that one meaning, and multiple ways that we could organize that content to communicate it and teach it to others, depending on how, what emphases or, or whatever, how we want to communicate it. So we just, we talked through one possible way to do that is through uh, God's word is to be obeyed, there's consequences for disobedience, and yet there's mercy even in spite of the of the disobedience. Here's a couple of other ways that I kind of was workshopping the text. Uh, forsaking God's commands leads to disaster. Forsaking God's commands leads to humiliation. Forsaking God's commands won't stop him from accomplishing his purposes. So that's really an emphasis upon the Jonah's and his forsaking God's commands aspect of things. Or if we want to emphasize the mercy of God, God's mercy is for the nations. Go to Nineveh. Non-Israelite, go to Nineveh. We see God's mercy extended to the sailors. And we see God's mercy extended to Jonah, even in the discipline of God sends a fish to swallow him up, and we know where that leads. So there's, there's another way that we could categorize things. So there's different ways that we could formulate to try to communicate the true principles that flow out of the one meaning of the text. One meaning multiple principles, multiplicity of applications and ways to organize the content. But this helps us, for putting things into teaching point format helps us think through the principles and the application, which then takes us to our next step of personally appropriating the truth. Okay, this is what it means. These are the principles at play. How can I begin to see this where are the touching points in my personal life context here in the year 2023? And so from our book, just reminding us of a couple more things again, uh, there were these three kind of key points that uh, Kostenberger and Fur looked into. There's personal assessment, reflective meditation, and individual appropriation concepts here. Personal assessment, is there something in my life that is out of step with the principles articulated? In my own life, as I'm reflecting on the text, I go, oh, wow, man, this... Knowing what the Word of God has to say and then knowing myself and not being, not being blind to myself, not ignoring my own failures, my own shortcomings. Uh, okay, I, I'm seeing some things that there's a disconnect here between how my life is over here and these principles at play here. I need to make some adjustments. 
So we have to assess our own selves. We have to be willing to be honest with our own selves. We have to be willing to examine our own selves and not just assume, oh, yeah, I got this. You know, hold on a sec. Let's pause. And that's where reflective meditation comes in. Dwell on the eternal truth of the word. This, that word, the original word for meditate communicates the concept of a cow chewing the cud. Now, if you know much about cows, they got multiple stomachs, right? They eat the food, they swallow it, they spit it back up, they ruminate, yeah, they, they ruminate, they, they chomp on it a little bit more. Then they swallow it to the next stomach, bring it up again, and chew on it some more. So they keep digesting the material. It's, it's a really gross analogy. But it fits, right? That's the concept. Okay, we're chewing on it. We're really thinking about this. Meditation, Eastern meditation says empty your mind. Biblical meditation says fill your mind with God's Word and think on these things, right? Meditate on it. Dwell on it. And this is where we spend time in prayer. Lord, help me to see where I need to make adjustments in my life uh, with, in light of this text. Lord, help me to know how I can trust in you better. Help me to know where I'm in disobedience. Lord, I, I want to be obedient to you. Help me to see this. Lord, I see how Jonah, and we're, we're praying through the text. We're praying what, what's there. Uh, Lord, I see how Jonah was in disobedience to you. Lord, you've given me commands. Help me not to be disobedient. Are there areas of my life where I'm disobedient? Reveal that to me. And we're praying. We're reflecting upon the text, meditating on the text, praying through the text. And that helps us begin to make those bridging points. And then it comes to the individual appropriation. We've got our principles. We've got our overarching things. Well, what does that mean for me in my life? In response to this text, I will, that's the personal application side of things. So as it comes to how can I appropriate Jonah 1, there's some questions that we can think about that that flow out of the principles. I just put a few on here, and this isn't exhaustive. Am I forsaking any of God's commands? God gave Jonah a specific command. God's word is to be obeyed. Am I out of step anywhere? Lord, reveal something. If there's something, Lord, I want to be humble. I want to be submissive to you. Help me in this. Am I finding from God? I should say running from God. I don't know why it says finding from God. Uh, I guess. <laughs> Autocorrect. It probably was fleeing. Uh, whew, I don't know. Am I fleeing from God? That's probably what's supposed to be fleeing because it starts with the yeah. Am I fleeing from God in any way? Is, is there something I'm just, I'm just trying to ignore? Like, okay, I know your word says that. I'm just going to pretend like I don't know it exists. You know, I'm just, I don't want to think about that, Lord. I don't want to go there right now. I've got too much other things. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, uh, yeah, Second um, uh, Peter chapter three talks about the willful ignorance of false of these people who are scoffing at the word of God. Am I being willfully ignorant, Lord? I, I, reveal this to me. Do I see? So now there are times when God brings things into our lives that are discipline for us. We have sinned, and we're dealing with some of the consequences of our sin. Do I see God's mercy even in, in His chastisement? So Hebrews chapter twelve talks about don't. Don't regard the discipline of the Lord as something that's like a negative thing. Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. So we're kind of connecting Old Testament truth with New Testament truth there. We see this in the life of Jonah. Well, do I see this in my life? Man, Lord, I, I made some really poor decisions. And the consequences after that decision, 
I, it wasn't fun, but God is teaching me through it. Do I have that attitude? Or am I just a grumpy pants about the discipline that I'm experiencing? Well, uh, God was extending mercy to other nations. Well, do I have a love for the nations? Do I have a love for uh, these people that are, it, from worldly standards, maybe we view them as unlovable? So that's kind of ties to the next point. Do I have a love for those that the culture hates? If our culture does not like, maybe it's a people group, maybe it's, uh, I don't even know how to, um, maybe it's a political party that's not your own. Maybe it's not even a ethnic group, but it's a political group. Do I love those that are that my culture hates? Do I ha- do I have that for these other people groups? And we can begin to evaluate when it comes to the personal appropriation. This is the touching points. We have the broad principles. Now, how did, does this touch in with my own life? And how can I personally appropriate Jonah chapter 1 on that level? Any other thoughts or comments about appropriation of Jonah 1 that maybe I'm overlooking or you just, something that comes to mind? This isn't, I know this isn't exhaustive, so I, I'm not saying that this is the end-all and be-all, right? So there's, there's a whole more number. But these are the kinds of things that we can ask as we begin to do personal application. I think maybe another question, and it, I think it's tied into what you've already put up there. You know, am I withholding mercy where God has mm. shown mercy? Yeah, that's a tough one. Am I withholding mercy where God has shown mercy is, or is, is willing to extend mercy? Am I willing to extend it where God is willing to extend it? Yeah, that's a challenging one to think about. Yeah, there's the oof moments, right? Um, I think of right now, do I have a love for the nations? I think of you know, the conflict going on between Israel and Hamas right now. And different sides of the political spectrum, different people have different perspectives that there's a lot, I've, there's been a lot of anti-Israel rhetoric that has flowed out of this conflict. So much do I love, and this is, and I, so from our theological perspective, we do believe that Israel is God's chosen people, so I got as a purpose for ethnic and national Israel. Now, there's other things that we could say about the modern state of Israel, and we recognize their need for repentance, and we recognize all those things, so we're not taken away from any of that and their need to embrace Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But then there's the other side of it. Do I have a love for Hamas? Individuals that are doing things that we would say are extremely wicked and vile and barbaric. Not unlike the Ninevites. Do I have a love for the nations such that if Amos had a mass repentance, that that would bother us? Oh, Lord, do not let those people into heaven. They do not deserve it. They have done so many wicked things. Or would we rejoice at their repentance if that were to come? I think it would be easier to oppress Hamas than if, if Hamas was. Conversion than it would be for some people in Amos. 
talk about some people in our own personal experiences. Sure. Yeah. Good, because they're overall they're over there, right? Right. They're yeah. over there. I don't know them. Yeah. They haven't wronged me or my family. So let's um, let's bring it closer to home. Um, riots, looting, burning buildings that occurred just a couple years ago in Louisville. Uh, those aren't good things. Those are bad things. If God brings repentance, should, how would we respond? We should respond with the praise of the Lord, right? That's how we should respond. We should desire. We should have a love for them. But it is so easy and natural for us to view it through either political lenses or, or just socialistic lenses of just like, oh, you know, those people, whatever, whatever, you know, group that we could talk about, whether it's, you know, and it's not They're just not us people. Yeah, right. And, and so today, today, the lines aren't always just ethnic. Sometimes they are ethnic lines. So a lot of times people look at Jonah and say, well, Jonah was a racist and, you know, we need to not be racist. It's like, well, that's, it's true. We should not be racist. Is it a race difference? That's, I, I'm not, well, there is a race difference. Uh, Nineveh, yeah, Nineveh was a Gentile nation. They were not, they were not Jews. I'm not fully convinced in myself that Jonah was fully acting on racial animus the way we think of racial animosity today. I don't think those were the same kind of categories that he was operating through. Nineveh was a genuinely awful people group. They were wicked. God says they were wicked, right? So perhaps Jonah is responding to the wickedness of the people. But even if we're to say it was a racial thing, there are... There, it is a relatable issue, right? So the, today there are racial things that happen. Well, how do we think about those things? But even if, let's, let's remove the race aspect from it, there's political divides. We're more conservative. There are li- there's others who are more liberal. We are one way, there's, there's other ways. Like, how do we think about people that are on different sides of the spectrum that get very animated and vocal and think, doing things that we would say are harmful to society, biblically? We can rightly say that. These, those things are harmful to society. Do we love the people even while having problems with the politics? Do we love the people even while you know, having disagreements with the things that we believe are destroying society? And if they were to convert, would we just be happy on a political level? Oh, good, they're no longer doing the things that are harmful to society. Or would we be rejoicing in their souls being saved? Even more closer to home is that that what you're saying is more black and white, us versus them. Like, yeah. oh, well, they say, well, they're not Christian. We can we can justify, so we can love them despite their silliness, other sure. silliness, right? But what about those of us? Verse and this this is hitting very close to home right now. So those of us who claim who are Christian, but with people who also claim to be Christian but practice it differently or look at it differently, um, have slight differences, secondary or tertiary, not not primary salvific issues. Sure. And how do we treat them? Yeah. Yeah. 
all all of those things come into play. So yeah, we're getting we're getting into we're getting into it. We're getting into it. So that that that's when we look into God's word and when we are praying, Lord, help me see. And then when God helps us see, ooh, sometimes it stinks. But then, okay, Lord, thank you for revealing this to me. Let's begin to make those steps. There's not a whole lot with doing theology, so I'm just going to run through it real quick. Listen to the podcast. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> Uh, part of application is identifying the theology that's taught in each text so we can synthesize it with the rest of what we've learned from Scripture. This gives a fuller and more faithful understanding of the totality of what God has revealed about Himself, about humanity, about the world, about sin, about death, etc., 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 go on and on and on about different theological categories. And so as we think about theology of Jonah 1, we can ask questions, what does this teach me about God? He's merciful. He's to be obeyed. He's sovereign. He has power. Like, okay, there's all these things. What does this teach me about humanity? Well, Jonah was sinful. He's running from God, and it turns out that's the propensity of all of our hearts is to do that. Well, Nineveh was wicked. Well, we're, that's human. What does this teach us about sin? Well, sin's a big deal because God's going to bring judgment against it. Uh, Jonah's disobedience, that was a big deal because God sent the storm and the cow would be swallowed by a fish. What does this teach me about creation? Ah, the world, natural forces. Ah, actually, God's in control of all this stuff. To <laughs> Fishes can be big. Creation answers the creator. And so there's a whole host of other things that we could get into. And then this isn't just an intellectual process. Ah, what's the theology here? No. How does this theology lead me to worship? Wow, God, you are an awesome God. You are so merciful. You are so powerful. How does this theology lead me to confession and repentance? How does this theology lead me to witness, to communicate truth with others? And there's others, other questions that we could ask along the way as well. Okay. So that's doing theology, how it synthesizes with other things that we know, and then asking more questions about that for how we can respond. So that is Jonah chapter 1, observation, interpretation, and application. And that's an easy text. In future weeks, we're going to get into some harder texts that are more challenging to, um, we're going to get a New Testament text. I'm trying to remember what Jim and I discussed. So I think we, t- I think we talked about like Third John because it's self-contained and then maybe like one of the minor prophets, one of the shorter minor prophets like Obadiah. So yeah, trying to get into other, some other things. I mean, Jonah's a minor prophet as well, but it's a narrative. It's a little bit different than something like Obadiah, which is an oracle. So Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for Jonah. Thank you for what you have uh, taught us. Thank you for this exercise, Lord, as we're trying to go through these steps of observing, interpreting, and applying. Lord, give us wisdom and grace as we continue to do this in our own lives as we study the text for ourselves uh, outside of church context, just with our own Bibles in our own homes. Uh, We want to be faithful to what you've given us. Lord, help us to live in light of what you've given us, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.